Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that focuses on topics related to English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. This episode is part of our special Reimagining Education series. To help visualize what the future might look like for English learners, their teachers, families, and communities, we are bringing together the people who are working to ensure that students have every opportunity to achieve their highest aspirations, despite these unprecedented challenges. We'll bring in EL leaders from around the country to discuss what they are planning for when schools reopen, how they plan on mitigating learning loss, how they are restructuring educator roles and resources under possible budget constraints, and much more. As always, we are committed to keeping you informed and inspired with resources to help you support your English learners. If you'd like to find more information or contribute to the series, check out our distance learning page at distance.elevation.com. Remember that Elevation has two L's. We'll be releasing new episodes as we record them, so new information will always be available. As always, thanks for listening, stay safe, and take care of each other. Christina Lowe, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We, uh, we were just talking before we clicked the record button that the topic of professional development, professional learning, particularly in this current uh, environment, is one that's really resonating with people. I think it's good timing as the school year comes to an end and people start to uh, think about that. So with that, uh, tell us a little bit about um, who you are, what your role is, and, and where you're working now. Sure. Um, so like you said, my name is Christina Lowe. I'm the supervisor of English Learner Instruction for Prince William County Public Schools, uh, which is located in Northern Virginia, um, so fairly close to Washington, D.C. Um, this is my seventh year in that role. Great. And I should say that uh, you come to us via recommendation from uh, Lynn Mark alone, who's been a guest twice and who's been wonderful. Um, from also from Prince William. So uh, yes, really nice yes, she's my fantastic boss. So. Yeah, you're very lucky. Uh, from what I know of, of her uh, to have to have her on board. She's passionate and, uh, and really has been a, has been a great guest. So um, we had you come on to talk specifically about the idea of PD, um, specifically for English learners as we transition into what is going to be a very interesting um, school year and summer as well. So um, so I'll start with kind of the current situation, and then we'll kind of get into the future. How, how are you all adapting, um, or how have you adapted already, um, these professional learning opportunities to work in remote environments? Yeah, that's a, um, it's a really great question. Um, and one that I have to, have to start off with saying that we are a great team. Um, this is definitely not the work of one person, but the, the work of a, a very collaborative, um, very communicative team. Um, so we've been doing a lot of work, um, really just promoting a lot of the great resources that are out there. Um, there have been amazing webinars and free consultations and just a lot of really great things um, that are, have just been um, promoted by various uh, expertise, um, experts in the field, voices in the field. Um, and so we're, you know, working as fast as we can to promote those as those pop up but also taking our own professional development um, learning opportunities and converting those to the online format as fast as we can. Um, and then also just what can we do right now? Um, we started hosting virtual support sessions for uh, any of our teachers. Um, so we primarily support ESOL teachers or teachers working with English learners. And so we have been hosting um, about five hours a week 
um, specific support sessions for those teachers. So trying to offer at least a morning session and an afternoon session for teachers to just come in, um, talk. It's all on Zoom. So just um, a very informal setting for them to come in, talk about what's happening, and then us to be able to help meet those needs or at least have other teachers be able to brainstorm solutions. Um, and then we were able to, uh, based off of those conversations, bring in people um, or experts of topics that maybe weren't our area of expertise. So such as social emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. um, that's been a big topic the last couple of weeks um, and also family engagement. Um, so we were able to bring in some people who really um, are, are greater experts in that area than we are um, so that we could bring them in um, to our teachers and, and talk about those things. Um, one really uh, great advantage of that is that it's also allowed us to connect with more teachers than I think maybe we typically would have um, in a normal setting. Hmm. Um, we try to get into schools as often as possible and are supporting our teachers um, wherever and whenever we can. Um, but this online format has allowed teachers that we didn't necessarily have strong relationships with before to pop in, ask questions, and for us to build relationships with, which has been huge. Um, and yeah, then that's, just another, that's, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's amazing that like, you know, we, we talk, call this distance learning and remote learning, but in, in a lot of ways, it, it's really, uh, it brought people together. We've, we've talked about that with family engagement, which you, which you mentioned as well. And it's interesting to hear that about PD as well, but continue. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no, that's okay. So um, I was just also going to say, we typically have face-to-face -face, uh, full day meetings with our, um, we call them lead teachers and department chairs. So they're really our liaisons in the schools. Um, and so we quickly had to, okay, how do we do this now? Um, and so we quickly had to turn that into a webinar style format. So it was taking basically six hours and compressing it into one hour and still trying to meet those needs um, of those teachers so that they could quickly then turnkey that to their teachers in their schools. Um, and it, it was the first time I was, I was really nervous about it. Like, how is this going to work? And sure. um, we're going to, you know, we want to make sure we present information, but we also want to get feedback. Um, so the first time we ran it, we, it was really just a set, like a webinar style setup. Um, us presenting information, getting some questions via the chat, and then turning around and providing those answers within a week. Um, the second time we did it, it was, okay, we really want to make sure that teachers have an opportunity to, to network and talk with each other because they don't just want talking heads. They, they want to, to be able to network with each other. Um, and these are the leaders in the buildings. So how can we support them? So we incorporated breakout sessions um, this last time and yep. those went really well. Um, I was also really nervous about that. Like how, okay. Oh yeah, the logistics of the whole thing. Yep, yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> how do we make sure that the right people are in the right rooms at yeah. the right time? And the first time we tried it, we basically broke Zoom. Yeah, um, there's a learning curve there for sure. Yeah, yeah. So Zoom just kicked us out and... Um, <laughs> That we had all joined back into the same meeting. We're like, okay, well, that's good to know that that can happen. So let's have a contingency plan. Um, so it required quite a bit of preparation. But once it finally went off, we were really pleased. Um, and we're looking forward to finding ways to incorporate a lot of these tools that have been out there, but we hadn't been utilizing um, right. in, the, in the ways that we could have. Um, yeah, so and now you have really to. Hoping, so. Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely a forced learning curve, but it's also, I think, really good because it's showing us what capabilities, um, you know, what things we can we utilize, um, even if we are back face to face. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That was a, that, I, that was like a really great introduction because you touched on a lot of the topics that we're going to get into, like social emotional learning and family engagement and how PD um, sort of fits into that. Um, but I also want to take away a couple key things that you said that I think are really important and that I've heard over and over again. And it's something that I'm sort of doing myself when it comes to getting information out to folks in our ELL community. And that's, you know, you talk about curation, right? Like there's so much good stuff out there, but it can be like drinking from a fire hose. So the power of having somebody like you or someone on your team to curate information and put it out there that's from a variety of organizations, much of it, much of it free and high quality. Um, but of course, there's stuff out there that may not be highly relevant. So I love that you brought that up by taking advantage of the stuff that's out there, the curation, and then sort of redesigning your own, which might be a little bit more scary um, for, to fit in a virtual environment, and then learning from, from, from both of those things about how you're going to move forward um, next year. And I also love that you just provided space for folks to kind of talk and maybe vent and maybe just learn from one another and use the word network. And it sounded, it sounds like, and, and Lynn got into this a little bit too. It sounds like, um, in, in the podcast we did with her, those sessions that were open, you were able to kind of gather some information and figure out what people really wanted. So that was kind of top of the funnel. And then you could be a little bit more, um, more specific. And all that is, is like, a, like I said, a great sort of intro into what we're going to get into. But I want to focus a little bit more, um, before we get into the family engagement and the social emotional, focusing in on, on English learners who are probably going to be facing right now, uh, you know, some serious learning loss, an extended, you know, period of learning loss. Um, and so, so I, I'm curious, like, given everything that you've mentioned, what do you think the role is of this new kind of PD that you're experimenting with and rolling out? to help mitigate that learning loss? Like what is it that teachers are going to gain or you hope that they gain um, to be able to handle that? Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something that's in the forefront of our minds as we're considering what professional learning opportunities we still need to create, that we still need to maybe take something that we've done and revise. Um, and, and it's, I think the important thing is back to what you were talking about with the networking piece is just listening. Um, we're really trying to listen to our teachers and tell us what you need and how we can help meet that need. Um, but it also is, is building relationships. So it's us building the relationship with the teachers, but the teachers really building relationships with the students. Um, so we, we have, you know, been able to listen to teachers talk about all of the avenues that they're exploring to try and reach students, um, you know, finding out that they've moved and but still providing support, um, finding out that they, they need food and they're afraid to go to the school to get food. So, you know, providing resources, providing contacts um, so that they, they um, can at least help to reduce that fear. Um, so a lot of it really just boils down to that relationship building um, with both the teachers and with the families. Um, so I, I know that we're still trying to figure out what exactly uh, next year will look like. I know that's kind of the million dollar question, um, especially with, with all um, feeling like it's right around the corner. I know we still have a couple of months, um, but also just also giving teachers flexibility to be able to to figure out what that looks like um, in terms of supporting their students. Um, I know you talked a lot about learning loss for English learners. Um, we're, we're hoping to use the phrase more of recovery rather than remediation. So looking yeah. at how are students recovering? Right. Um, how can we help them recover? Um, and so that goes, that goes into learning both um, 
both academic uh, content as well as language, as well as the social emotional support. Um, so really seeing that as an integrated effort um, among all of the people in, in the school site and central office site. So in terms of, you know, utilizing counselors and having small group sessions with students, um, but also um, making sure that communications are going out in multiple languages. Um, and we're trying to make things as EL friendly uh, as possible. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you, one thing that you mentioned was it's building relationships and, and listening, which I think is um, crucial. And, uh, you know, building relationships can be tricky uh, when you're doing it virtually. Um, but there's also, I think, some advantages that come with that. And that all, of course, depends on if you already have a relationship with someone or not. I assume when this whole thing ha- started to happen, you know, your team and your teachers probably had a relationship in place that so made the virtual transition easier. Well, next year is going to be a little bit different. And then widening it out, widening it out a little bit or zooming out, I start to think about those other relationships, like the relationships with families. And I mean, family engagement has come up like, and I love it that it's come up over and over again. It's as a critical component, not just a thing like a, like a part of the puzzle, but really like a critical component to making sure that this whole remote learning works, uh, particularly for, um, for English learners. And I've also heard a lot of people say that we actually just put a poll um, uh, yesterday on our on our community brief that asked the question: Has family engagement improved uh, as a result of remote learning? And interestingly, I think about sixty percent of people um, have said yes. So there's something to this remote learning. Maybe it's that the teacher is in the living room with the student and the family can see, or people are just they need the families involved. So I'd love to get your take on that. Um, with a, with a perspective on on professional development and professional learning. So what are you doing to ensure that family engagement either continues as a priority, becomes more of a priority, um, or, you know, whatever it is that you're, that you're trying to do moving into the next school year? So maybe give us like a baseline of what you've done for PD with family engagement in the past, if any at all, and what you hope to kind of do moving forward. Yeah, sure. So to use a a sports analogy, it's been kind of like a full court press. Like we've really been trying to get at this from every single angle. Um, We, so we have historically offered parents as educational partners, the PEP program, um, and have, have had varied success depending on the school who's run it. Um, We've also offered division-wide offerings. Um, And so we've kind of taken components of that and then been able to um, expand on that. Um, We've provided short on-demand sessions for Uh, teachers and school leaders of um, suggestions of how can you connect with families right now. Um, Some, you know, things just as basic as, hey, create a Google voice number so that you're not using your personal cell phone if you don't feel comfortable with that. Right. Um, And I know a lot of teachers have really appreciated that because they're like, kids, kids will contact me at 3 a.m. or at midnight. And so having a Google voice number rather than going to my personal phone has been pretty helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Simple things. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes it's just something like that, providing a couple of different ways to connect. Um, I mean, I've also heard of of several teachers mailing things, um, sending things out and contacting their students via mail, whether it's just a postcard or some will send a um, self-addressed stamped envelope and they'll get letters back from their students. Um, And so it's just been helpful for them to even know that they're okay. Sure. Um, Because sometimes they just want to know like, hey, are you okay? Are you doing all right? Are you getting everything that you need? 
Um, and so those are some of the, the simple things. I, I mean, I say simple, but it's been taking a lot of time to kind of like brainstorm what are the different ways that we can continue to reach out when I'm not getting responses to email. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's like you, you, you can't do this without having families as partners. I mean, somebody with somebody, um, Elizabeth Leone, who's from Manchester, New Hampshire, and runs a newcomer program. She was in the podcast recently, and she was saying that, you know, she, she works with newcomers, and these are, you know, people who are, have just arrived, their English skills are low, they don't really understand uh, education, they certainly don't understand technology. And she's had to like go to people's houses to show them how to make, you know, an at symbol so that they can send an email out. So it's, it might be simple, but uh, it's super, or to us, but it's super important. And those things are really coming to the surface. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've talked about, okay, in the, in the fall, if we're face to face, like, let's make sure that we host parent nights and family nights where we're showing them, here's how you access our website. Here's why it's so important that you keep your email up to date or your phone number up to date um, with our system so that we can communicate regularly. Also, if you don't know how to create an email address, we'll, we'll help you. We'll, we'll walk you through that. Um, if we are virtual, then creating like a screencast of how to do that um, to walk people through um, through some of those things and then also providing either captions in another language or translate those into another language so that they're more accessible. Um, and something else we've talked about is we're just reducing clicks. Like some, sometimes our websites can be so comprehensive that it takes yeah. five or six clicks to get one place. And so it's how can we reduce the demand on the user um, and, and really help them out? Yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah, so that's I I, th- I feel like you're on the right track there with 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 family engagement piece. Um, and I know you know having had, had their conversations with folks from the district that um, that is a priority for you all. The other thing that you mentioned was social emotional well being, and it's something that I feel like people are thinking a lot about now as we um, you know get into the month of June. And uh, teachers out there know that these students, even though it's a virtual environment, are now going on summer vacation. They're harder to track um, and social emotional for a lot of folks becomes a, a really important factor over the summer. Um, is this something that that PD there has played a role in, in sort of managing this? So it's something that we're still asking a lot of questions about as well. Um, we just um, hosted our what we're calling themed virtual support sessions. So, um, the last two weeks, we had our elementary and secondary supervisors of school counseling join us in our support sessions and talk specifically about um, what our Office of Student Services is offering for students and how they're working with counselors at the schools. Um, and so something that we've really focused on, and we've also tried to do this with our meetings um, with our, our, our EL leaders is um, making sure that you're taking care of yourself first. Um, that whole analogy of, you know, when you're on the airplane and they tell you to put those air um, vents over you first before helping, you know, someone next to you, it's, we're really trying to, to promote that idea of you can't take care of others if you don't take care of yourself. Um, that, that's so harder to do. That's like harder to do than it seems. Like, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people have the, like the right intention, but they don't, I say actually like <laughs> it's a bit, bit off topic, but I say that to my wife all the time. Like you cannot take care of anybody else unless you take care of yourself, but yeah, you have, you have to do that. And with educators, that's really, really hard to do. So analogies like that are really important. Yeah. And it's, I think it's something that I always heard on the airplane and never really kind of got until recently. It's like, oh yeah, like I need to get up and walk around. Like I've been sitting staring at my computer for however many hours and that's not healthy. Um, 
So one of the other things that we talked about was, okay, so what you've taken care of yourself, you've gotten up, you've walked around for 10 minutes, you're making sure you're drinking enough water, like whatever, whatever that is for you. Um, it's then being willing to have those conversations with the student, not being afraid of saying, how are you doing? How is this impacting you? Um, and I think to hear, um, I think giving the freedom to, to have those conversations um, can be really helpful. Um, that it, it's okay to ask those questions. It's okay to, to um, not be afraid of the answers either. Um, and then knowing what resources are available. So you don't have to have all the answers. You can point people in different directions, right? So whether it's, I need food, it's okay, point them to the food bank, point them to the schools that are giving out meals. Um, if it's, you know, I, if it's a social emotional need that is above, you know, my qualifications, then I'm sending them to the school counselor or um, something that our, our Office of Student Services has done is they created a, a generic inbox for any need that students might have, um, and they, they answer that regularly. Um, and so then they can um, direct those needs to the appropriate person. Um, so I think that's been huge to be able to, um, be able to offer both teachers and students, um, because I think that can be a bit freeing for teachers. Like, okay, I don't have to have all of the answers. I don't have right. to know everything. Yeah, another source. Yeah, and and you know, I think it's um for for students also to have the opportunity to kind of talk about what they're going through, particularly English learners. I mean, you know, the key is to be able to have someone who listens to you, but it's also kind of good that that's basically another opportunity to use language. I mean, it's it's a great way to kind of bridge, you know, you're not necessarily covering content, but you're covering your basic human needs for social emotional well-being um with language and same for parents as well. So I think you know, that, that can be something that can serve uh, two purposes without us even really necessarily thinking a lot about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've also talked about incorporating some threads of social emotional well-being into our PD for next year, um, like trying to figure out where are some ways that we can, you know, incorporate that. And so it's a little more integrated in what we do rather than right. kind of attack on. An extra um, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also, but also um, looking at in specific sessions on that and, and hiring some consultants to come in and say, okay, how do we do this really well? Yeah, that's really important, really interesting. Almost like you're covering it without even knowing. It's just to integrate seamlessly. It's same with language and content and same in some ways with, in a different way, I guess, with what we talked about earlier, which was um, family engagement. So mm-hmm. I think like what we're getting into now is this, um, is, is not necessarily like sort of what I picture as a 17-year veteran high school teacher, as traditional PD. I wish what we're talking about now was traditional PD when I was teaching, but it was more centered around curriculum and instruction. It was um, not like a la carte. It was kind of forced, here's what we're going to do. Um, and and for, for English learners and for me who was a foreign language teacher, it was based around content and language, which was, which was great. And I know there's still certainly a, um, a need for that kind of PD out there. Um, but we also need to take into account this idea of remote learning and blended learning environments. And so in terms of sort of focusing on teachers of English learners and what they need to know to teach in a blended, fully remote, or possibly face-to-face learning environment, again, we just don't know. Um, what, like, how, how are you, that's a huge challenge. How are you shifting and con- you must be constantly evolving to figure out what kind of PD you're going to offer to them? Yes. <laughs> the answer to that is yes. Um, we're really focusing on 
um, building professional development that will meet the needs of these new, very challenging environments. Um, so we're, we're thinking about, okay, if we're face-to-face, what does that look like and what kind of professional um, development will we be able to offer? Even if we are face-to-face, will that be social distanced face-to-face? And yep. how do you hold a PD with people six feet apart? And how do you really do a, you know, a gallery walk during that time period? Um, like little things like that or, or will... So many of these traditional things are, they have just totally redesigned. Right. Which exactly. might be a cool, like a really cool opportunity, actually. True. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, and so also just will principals even let teachers out of the buildings? Will they have money for substitutes? Um, so we're looking at, okay, what, what are some professional development that we can either make, make hybrid? So there's limited face-to-face um, because we do definitely still see the value in face-to-face professional development. It's, oh yeah, sure. Uh, it's crucial to building relationships. I mean, you can build relationships online, but it's, it's not always the same. Um, and also just when we are offering online professional development, that is high quality, that we want people to attend. We want people to, whether it's in a, an asynchronous environment, um, that it's got interaction, engagement, that it's going to keep people coming back for more. And that we're also, um, and this is huge for us, that we're modeling best practices, that we're showing exactly what we would want to see done with students. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that is using visuals and reducing the number of clicks, like I talked about before, um, using videos, um, just some sort of uh, way to demonstrate that this is possible for even our lowest level English learners, that, that they can succeed in this, in this environment as well. Yeah, that's such a crucial part of the design I mean, if you're not, you know, uh, using what you're asking teachers to use, using those same strategies, then uh, I think I, you know, my personal opinion is that you're almost destined to fail from the get-go. The other thing that you mentioned was the idea of keeping it um, interactive and engaging. And that gets into like the whole motivation thing, which obviously is a key part of adult learning theory. I mean, how about that? Have you seen like, was it difficult to motivate people at the beginning to join these meetings or was it easy because they had to? And how has that evolved um, over time? I'm wondering if, if you've kind of played with different ways to get folks motivated, if that's interaction or engagement. And if you see that as maybe something that we can kind of um, develop and evolve moving forward as, as we shift to a more of an online um, offering of, of professional development. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely been looking at everything as a learning opportunity, like even things that I didn't think were learning opportunities were. Um, So and and another pretty good analogy that I've heard multiple people use is that it's like we're we're building the plane as we're flying in it. Um, So it's it's trying to figure out, okay, what where does this piece go? And how does this work? And oh, that that didn't work. So let's let's uh, reimagine how we can do that. Um, So, for example, uh, one of our state organizations has been hosting councils every Wednesday um, and a a teacher who's on the board had said, hey, you should you should pop in on these. And I learned so much just by popping in on those conversations weekly. Um, The way that the the president has has run those meetings helped me to learn how to better run our own virtual support sessions. Um, I noticed how she would frame questions to get people talking, how to keep the conversations moving, um, utilizing the chat in order to be able to both 
summarize um, key points that people were making, um, and also just being really inclusive and allowing people show your video, don't show your video, um, sit and listen, talk away, like really helping to facilitate conversation. Because um, when we first started our virtual support sessions, I was initially thinking like, okay, we'll just, we'll pop on there. We'll see if anybody has any questions and we'll just kind of go from there. And what I realized was that that environment was not very inviting. And when people were first jumping on, they would maybe have one particular question that they would want to ask and then they would either hop off or sometimes we're just all awkwardly staring at each other. And that's not going to encourage people to keep coming back. Right. So, um, yeah. so it was trying to find ways to get people talking because so many times they're doing phenomenal things um, with their students, with their families, and they don't even know it. And we want to showcase the great work that they're doing um, because, you know, they're going to learn from each other um, as much as um, we can, you know, we can showcase different things that we're seeing. Right. I, I mean, I think like, I love what you said also about just checking out different kind of offerings and looking at how different people do it and um, borrowing or stealing ideas from others. I mean, that's kind of what education's all about is, is seeing something good and, 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 you know, copying it or, or not copying it, but, but using it in your context and the way that works for you. And I feel like there wasn't a, a lot, there's not necessarily a lot of opportunities for teachers to do that on a daily basis when they're in a brick and mortar building because you're just so busy and everything's on a schedule and you don't, you know, sometimes time's provided for you to observe others. But most of the time, in my experience, at least an observation was, um, you know, a superior observing me for an evaluation, you know. Um, but this really gives people, I think, the flexibility to be able to look at how others are, in this case, presenting PD. Um, but I wonder if there'll be opportunities moving forward. I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but uh, opportunities for teachers to be able to observe other teachers teaching in a remote environment with English learners and sort of, uh, you know, taking notes and figuring out what went well, what didn't, reflecting, and then using the things that went well and, and trying to adapt them. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Um, it'll be really interesting to see, uh, you know, my, my first thought is there obviously would have to be um, consent from students, right? right. Um, and there would need to be some sort of agreement. Um, but I think that would be really great to be able to learn from each other. Even, I, you know, I think about like how you, when you do national boards, it's making sure that you're recording yourself and, um, yeah. you know, I went through that. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's something along those lines as well as record a lesson and reflect on it reflect on it with your, you know, collaborative learning team. Um, there's, I think there's, you know, it's easier to click record in an online setting than having to set up a video camera in your classroom or, you know, there's a little more logistics involved with that. Um, so there might be more reflective opportunities available than we had initially thought. Yeah. Well, I think one of the many um, silver linings, and I, and I want to save that silver lining question for the end. I have one, one more question for you. It might be the most uh, difficult question and the one that I think pe people are, are, are very concerned about. And that's, you know, there's just so much varying news on budgets and, you know, where we are. And I know most, most districts, it seems like, don't know exactly where they're going to land. But do you anticipate budget issues impacting the way that you deliver professional development? Um, and, and if so, are you, what are you doing to prepare for that? Uh, yeah, I think budget's going to affect everybody. Um, it's, it's kind of the the known elephant in the room. Um, 
So we, like I mentioned before, we're concerned about substitutes. Um, I know there's concerns about will there be enough substitutes or will substitutes even feel comfortable going in? Um, so offering more online options is a way for us to be able to not have to worry about paying for a substitute or even if there's a substitute available. Um, it also can help ensure that teachers are in the classroom more so there's less um, teachers being out. However, that does mean more off-contract time, which is can be very challenging, especially if you're caring for your own family members. Um, so there's, I mean, there's some some give and take with that. Um, but also, it, there are a lot of really great presenters and consultants that are now available that normally are traveling a lot, and um, it's really hard to book them. Um, but we've found that they're not traveling right now. So we've been able to snag some really great presenters um, for professional development this summer. Um, and because you're also not paying for the travel costs, they're not as expensive as they normally are. So those are some of, you know, like what you'd said, some of those silver linings um, that we're able to, to host some really great people to do professional development that normally would be really hard to book or to get into a room. Um, so those are some things that we're looking forward to hosting. Yeah. And that's a huge disruption, you know, in the way that we've traditionally done things. And I wonder what ripple effects that's going to have moving forward. Like, will there be a demand or an appetite to bring consultants in and fly them in or when you can do it less expensively and perhaps um, just as effectively online? It's something that I feel like a lot of folks are considering the idea of travel. Um, so that that that's interesting. Another another topic for another time. But but I thought I'd kind of tease that. Um, so my last question is is more on the positive side, I hope. Um, and that is, what has been your most important learning experience, you know, from March until now that that you hope to use and expand upon moving forward? And I'm, I'm guessing that you've already kind of mentioned it, but I love if you have to kind of expand on it a little bit. Yeah. So I think for me, it's been just the importance of adaptability and flexibility. Um, we like, like we've talked about, we've had to change so quickly. <laughs> Um, but a lot of those changes have been really good. Um, and they've shown me that sometimes um, we're doing things just because we've always done them that way. And that's that, not yeah. always the right answer. Um, with, uh, with our boss being rather new to her position, uh, she's, she's, I think this is her second or third year now, um, she would ask me a lot of questions. Oh, okay, so talk to me about why we do this. Why do we do it this way? And there were many times I was embarrassed to say, I don't know, other than this is just the way we've always done it. Um, yeah. So I want to have better answers to those questions. And it's also been really helpful to have these support sessions with teachers to get their feedback, um, to really keep our ear to the ground and, you know, be able to curate that professional development for our teachers. Um, so it's, you know, it's something that we've always done, but I think this has provided us with additional opportunities um, to really be able to do that well. Right. Yeah. I mean, adaptability and flexibility, I think, are key at any time. And they're probably, you know, among the top 10 skills that employers are, are looking for. But sometimes it can be hard to sort of uh, define what that means. Or if you're like a job candidate to say, here's how I was flexible or adaptive. Well, I think a lot of people will be able to kind of put that on their resume. Um, at this point, it might be a more uh, a common skill for people to have, especially teachers who, 
um, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm one, I feel like, so I, I feel like I feel okay saying this. I mean, I did the same thing. You know, I, I would answer questions very, very commonly, like, well, in my mind, this is how we've always done it. I mean, from everything, from, from, from giving homework to the way we have our school schedule, so much of it is just ingrained in our heads because we were students at one time and we went through it and it seemed to work for us. And, and, and now everything's disrupted. Everything's changed. Everybody has to sort of learn things very quickly and be adaptable. Um, and we're really seeing the importance of those two skills. I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned those um, uh, to kind of conclude this. Yeah, it's, it's been huge for us as a team and, and for me personally too, um, to continually ask for feedback and then act on that feedback. And it's just great to see that people are doing it and that not only they're doing it, but they're able to do it. And not only are they able to do it, but they're able to do it effectively. Like education is still happening, you know, and it's because of um, not only adaptability and the flexibility, but also the just inherent passion um, and caring, uh, I feel like that, that teachers have um, for their students, which is great. And I think that's probably a great place uh, to wrap this up. So Christina, I wanna um, thank you so much for, for coming on and giving your perspective uh, on professional learning during this this crazy time. Um, and I think you gave us a lot of ideas that we can, that we can think about uh, moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.